Today on Walk in Truth, Pastor Michael's in the book of Mark, chapter 5, verse 22, with part two of a message titled, The Master's Touch. Welcome to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance. Walk in Truth is a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. And now, here's Pastor Michael. And all of his buddies around, all the people who know this prominent leader. Could you imagine being one of the people, you know, you know this is the religious leader. This is the, this is the pastor. This is, this is the man, the religious man. And what's he doing? He's on the seashore on his face before Jesus. And you may have recognized this man as one who doubted Jesus and questioned Jesus and maybe even a group that wanted to destroy him. And now, what's Jairus doing? You have to be shocked. Isn't that the synagogue leader? Isn't that the man that questioned whether Jesus was even a legit leader, let alone someone that you could fall at his feet and maybe believe that he's Messiah? Yeah, that's him. Huge crowd, religious leaders. Maybe some of the other religious leaders are disdaining the situation like, oh no. Not him, too. We didn't think he'd get caught up in the hype. But remember, his little girl's sick. She's dying. And the religious man has decided that Jesus is the answer. And so he falls at his face. Have you realized that Jesus is the answer for your life as well? Have you ever had a moment where you just fell on your face? You said, Lord, you're the only one who can give life to me. And so here's this little girl, but it's the dad, it's the father of the little girl. Jairus' wealth and prestige cannot save his daughter. He surely would have taken her place if he could. Maybe, I don't know how long this went on, but maybe he prayed, Lord, let it happen to me. Let me take her place. I'm sure any parent could relate to that, but he was beyond natural help. Now, if you're Jesus and Jairus is part of this group that potentially mocked you, doubted you, and maybe even was part of the group that was planning to destroy you, and he said, please come to my house. My little girl's dying. If you were Jesus, what would you do? Oh, yeah? Oh, now you need me. You know, my humanity starts thinking of responses like that. Oh, now you want to believe. Now you come. Now you're humbled, right? You saw me heal the man with a withered hand and you wouldn't believe before. In fact, you had a hard heart. Now, since you're in a crisis, aren't you glad that God's not that way? God will still make Himself available in crisis situations. And oftentimes, can I get a witness, that's usually when our prayer life is ramped up. You know, airplanes is usually where my prayer life Improves the most. Oh, Lord, keep this bird in the air, Lord. Right? You ever stand on the earth and just watch a plane and just go, sheesh, why does anybody get on those things? Because if anything bad happens, it's not good. I don't know where your prayer life improves, but I'm sure maybe this is the hardest that Jairus has ever prayed. And Jesus doesn't look at him and say, get up, wipe the sand off your face. 
Too bad. Let your religion take care of it. No. Jesus went with him. What would you do? What would you do if you had a friend that mocked your Christianity and then in a crisis they said to you, I would like to go to church with you today. Would you pray for me? (laughs) Yeah, right. I want you to grovel a little bit more. Stay down there. That's not Jesus. And so Jesus, look at 24, Mark 5, He went off with Him. And a great multitude was following Him, a huge crowd, and pressing in on Him. The Greek word here means to compress. The crowd, if you've ever been in a crowd that's trying to move and it's just so tight, and if you're claustrophobic, it's even worse. Right? I mean, no, people can barely move. And, and you know, now everybody's kind of, I'm sure there was a stunned silence when Jairus walked up. I'm sure everybody was kind of loud and boisterous. And then all of a sudden, the crowd got silent. And they're kind of waiting to see what Jesus would do here. What's he going to do? And off they go. And everybody's following. Crowds kind of mashing together. And Jesus' heart of compassion is on display. Jesus overlooked the multitudes. He saw them like sheep without a shepherd. They were scattered and downcast. And the Bible says He had compassion on them. And He said, pray to the Lord of the harvest. It will send out what? More workers. Are you willing to be a worker? You know, probably the singular requirement if you want to go out into the harvest field is compassion. Compassion should drive everything that you do. Compassion should be the, the reason that you witness. Not comfortableness. We all know it's uncomfortable to try to tell someone about Jesus. But compassion should drive us. Do you agree? Hmm. I'm not sure. That was a little weak. See, sometimes I just have to pray, Lord, just stir compassion in me. If I really believe there's a heaven to gain and a hell to shun, then stir compassion in me. Change my heart. Make me more like You. I don't want to just read these stories. I want to live these stories. I want to be part of the answer. Jesus said, they will know that You're My disciples because of Your love, one for another. Now, This crowd is a great picture of humanity. Desperate, in need of life. All, you know, all kinds of different situations in this crowd, and, and they follow. And that's what we do. The Lord is my shepherd. We follow Him. We're sheep. Despair is often the prelude to grace, says our Kent Hughes. And this is an incredible scene. It's a route. It's a walk. It's the walk of faith. Literally, Jairus is walking with Jesus. Or, if you want to put it another way, Jesus is walking with Him. You know, we often make it about us. Would you walk with me today, Lord? I think the Lord says, would you walk with me? How about you take the walk with me? How about you follow me? But the Lord is so gracious. And, and here, He's moving along. Now the crowd's probably, it's probably a slow boat you know, to try to get anywhere with this many people. And all of a sudden, another character comes into the story. 25. And a woman who had a hemorrhage, this is a flux or a flowing issue of blood. She had the hemorrhage for, would you notice, 12 years. A 12 year old girl, Luke tells us, and a woman with a hemorrhage for 12 years 
both will be touched. What is going on with this number 12? Well, if you're a Jew and you hear 12, what do you think of? 12 tribes. You know, we as New Covenant Christians, we think of 12 apostles. We think of 12,000 from each of the tribes in Revelation 7 and Revelation 14. The, the number 12 was very significant. And for a Jewish mind, it, immediately you think of the nation. Because the 12 tribes make up what? The nation of Israel. 12 sons of Jacob. And so all of a sudden, you got 12 repeated twice. I don't think it's by accident. Here's the underlying message Pastor Michael's take. You, Israel, are bleeding. You have an incurable wound. And the healer has come. And if you want the bleeding to stop in your nation, and stop in your life. Reach out the hand of faith. Do not let him pass you by. I think this is the message. I think for those who are reading this story, you know, sometimes in sports, when a team is getting crushed, the announcer will say, they got to find a way to stop the bleeding, man. That's right. And that's a metaphor for they're in deep trouble. They're getting slaughtered. Something's got to change. And here's the nation of Israel. The Messiah has come. They're under Roman domination and occupation. They're not a free people. And the Messiah has come to set them free. And here's a woman with this flow of blood. Twelve years. Some, uh, this would be called chronic hemorrhaging. Some believe that she may have a tumor on her uterus. But we don't know for sure, but what we do know is that the language seems to indicate that she constantly bleeds and it never stops. I mean, this is a desperate situation. And she, she is a woman, you know, according to Jewish law, you're unclean when this is happening because they, the book of Leviticus says that if a woman is in menstruation, she remains unclean. And so there's, there's a lot of detail in the book of Leviticus about this, but because of her situation, here's the bottom line. She becomes a carrier of uncleanness. Everybody she touches, everywhere she sits, the bed that she lies on automatically becomes unclean in Jewish culture. And so it may well be that because of her unending sickness, her husband has divorced her because he can't be with her because it makes him unclean. So she may have been married and now divorced. And a lot of the people who saw conditions like this said that this was probably a result of some sort of sexual sin. And of course, in that culture, if you had anything wrong with you, they always tried to blame it on something that you did wrong. And that's not the case, by the way. Sometimes we get sick and it's a direct result of something we've done, but oftentimes it's just a fallen world that we live in. If you want more on this, read Leviticus 15, 19-30. So she becomes a transmitter of uncleanness to everything she touches, everywhere she goes. Luke, who was a medical doctor and recorded the story in his Gospel, says she could not be healed by anyone. She went to doctor after doctor to find no cure. And so, here's what I'd like you to do.
Do you want to be able to defend your faith, what you believe in, why you believe it? We've tackled subjects like Jehovah's Witnesses, the origins of Christmas. In honor of the 500th year of the Reformation, we did a two-part message on sola scriptura. Is the Bible alone sufficient? Is it our highest authority? Scientology, intriguing topics that are available on the Walk in Truth store at walkintruth.com. There'll be more to come, more exciting things to come. I want to show you two Old Testament passages, Jeremiah 30, if you go there. So you're going to find the Psalms and the Proverbs. Go to the right, Jeremiah 30. God is addressing the nation through Jeremiah. And God has some hard things to share to the nation. Jeremiah 30. Here the context is the day of the Lord and the trouble of Jacob, which is the nation of Israel. Jeremiah 30. So to the right of the Psalms, Isaiah, Jeremiah. Look at chapter 30, verse 6. God says through the prophet, Ask now, Jeremiah 30, verse 6, and see if a male can give birth. Why do I see every man, Jeremiah 30, verse 6, with his hands on his loins as a woman in childbirth? Why have all faces turned pale? Jeremiah 30, verse 7. Alas, for that day is great. This is the day of the Lord. There is none like it. It is the time of Jacob's distress or trouble but he will be saved from it. And it shall come about on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will break his yoke from off their neck and will tear off their bounds and the strangers shall no longer make them their slaves. But they shall serve the Lord their God and David their king, whom I will raise up for them. They point to the greater David, Jesus. And fear not, O Jacob, my servant, declares the Lord, and do not be dismayed, O Israel, verse 10, for behold, I will save you from afar and your offspring from the land of their captivity. And Jacob shall return, that's the nation, and shall be quiet and at ease and no one shall make him afraid. For I am with you, declares the Lord, to save you. For I will destroy completely all the nations where I have scattered you. Only I will not destroy you completely. But I will chasten you justly and will by no means leave you unpunished. Verse 12, For thus says the Lord, Your wound is incurable. Your injury is serious. There is no one to plead your cause. No healing for your sore. No recovery for you. All your lovers have forgotten you. All those people that you look to, 14, they've forgotten you. They do not seek you, for I have wounded you with the wound of an enemy, with the punishment of a cruel one, because your iniquity is great and your sins are numerous. Why do you cry out over your injury? Your pain is incurable. Because your iniquity is great, and your sins are numerous. God says, I've done these things to you. Therefore, all who devour you shall be devoured. All your adversaries, every one of them, shall go into captivity. And those who plunder you shall be a plunder. And all who prey upon you I will give for prey. And notice this, 17. For I will restore you to health. I will heal you of your wounds, declares the Lord. Because they have called you an outcast, saying... It is Zion. No one cares for her. But God does. Would you turn to the book of Hosea? Just keep going to your right. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea. Go to chapter 5. Hosea, as a prophet, is instructed to do something quite strange. He's told to marry a woman by God. God says, marry a woman. She will be unfaithful to you. Marry her anyway. 
The whole book of Hosea is about this story. And Israel has gone wayward. They keep seeking other gods, other answers. They keep trying to look for cures for their heart problem in all the wrong places. This is the problem of humanity. This is the problem in America right now. This is why we need a great awakening. We keep looking everywhere else for the answers instead of to God. Israel did the same thing. Hosea 5, verse 13. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, 5.13, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jerob, but God says he is unable to heal you or to cure you of your wound. For I will be like a lion to Ephraim, like a young lion to the house of Judah. I, even I, will tear to pieces and go away. I will carry away and there will be none to deliver. 15. I will go away and return to my place until they acknowledge their guilt and seek my face in their affliction. They will earnestly seek me. Think of these stories. Think of the woman with a flow of blood. Think of Jairus in his desperate situation. And here's Hosea 6.1. It says, Come, let us return to the Lord. Hosea 6.1. For He has torn us, but He will heal us. He has wounded us, but He will bandage us. Back to Mark 2. Individuals at opposite ends of society now yoked together in a walk of faith. This woman, Mark 5.26, with the flow of blood, had endured much at the hands of many physicians, probably many quacks as well. Mark 5.26, she had spent all that she had. She was not able to be helped at all, was not helped at all, but rather... She had grown worse. The Talmud, which is a Jewish literature, gave 11 different options to be cured of a flux or a flow of blood. This is some of the remedies that the Talmud describes to get away from this sickness and the stigma, which is probably only second to having leprosy. Among the remedies that they had, superstitious as they were, was carrying off the ashes of an ostrich egg in a linen bag in the summer and in a cotton bag in the winter. Ostrich ashes of the egg. Another involved carrying around a barley kernel that had been found in the dung of a white female donkey. What is that? Well, (laughs) so... All of a sudden, this woman, 11 different cures that the Talmud records, and she probably did all 11. Why are you holding the bag today? Well, the wind's blowing in the easterly direction, and uh, I'm hoping that this is somehow going to stop. And we've probably... Anybody want to admit we've tried some of these remedies? So one of your friends says, Yeah, just mix these four things together. It'll be fine. Okay, go, 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 go. Ah! Got worse. So, after hearing about Jesus, she'd spent everything. She's broke now. No insurance back, of the, back in the day. Apparently, every family member has bailed on her. Maybe a divorced woman. Every woman in Israel pretty much got married, so it's unlikely that she was single. So, she's probably divorced everybody's bailed on her she's unclean and she heard 
about Jesus. And she came up in the crowd behind him, which was quite risky because she was a carrier, a transmitter of uncleanness, but she took the risk. She's behind him, and she reached out and touched his cloak. She grabbed hold, perhaps, of one of his tassels. Jewish men wore tassels, and the Pharisees were accused of lengthening their tassels to try to look super religious. You know, And the tassels were a reminder to the Jewish male of the law of God. And no doubt that Jesus probably wore the tassels as well. You see them sometimes today in prayer shawls. In uh, countries where persecution is uh, high, the Jews would sew the tassels hidden inside the garment to avoid persecution. But in Jesus' day, they wore them proudly outside. And the tassels were a reminder of the law. I just want to tell you guys something about our men's ministry. Our men's ministry um, gave out bracelets yesterday, and it says Joshua 24.15 on it. So if you showed up, you got a pancake for the soul, as Mike Massaro would put it. <laughs> we ate breakfast together. We did a Bible study, and we gave these out. Joshua 24.15 says, As for me and my house, we will... Serve the Lord. This is kind of what the tassels were for the Jew. It was a reminder. I serve God. I walk in His ways. I think all of us need reminders. So some of us guys that walked in today, we just kind of pointed at it. That's right, brother. As for me and my house, how about your house? Yeah. We'll serve the Lord. For the Jew, that's what the tassel was. It represented the law. It represented their special relationship with God. And she thought, look at 28, if I just touch His garments, I shall get well. The language in one of the Gospels indicates that she probably said it over and over and over. And see the phrase, I shall get well. It's the Greek word sozo, and it means I, I will be made whole. It's the word often used to be saved. He can save me. If I can just touch Him. If I can just reach out, if I can somehow weave my way through this incredible crowd moving to the house of Jairus with a desperate need, and I'm sure she had to fight, I'm sure she had to find a way. But faith, much like the four men who lowered their friend in the house through the roof, faith found a way. And she says, if I can just touch him. If I can just reach and grab his garment. And she came up behind him, Luke 8.44, and she touched the fringe of his cloak, Luke 8.44, and immediately her hemorrhage stopped. Look at 29. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. NIV says she felt in her body that she was freed from her suffering. Can you imagine this? Twelve long years. And she reaches out, and all of a sudden, the flow stops. I don't know if words can adequately, adequately describe what she must have been feeling at that moment. I'm sure for her, it was like a dream. It's something that she wondered, it, would it ever happen? Will I ever be healed? Will this, this ever stop? You know, when we're going through stuff, you guys, sometimes that's what we say to ourselves. We, we say, is this ever going to end? Is there ever going to be a reprieve from this season of my life? And I've got good news for you. Things do stop. Things do end. Crisis moments do end. 
Now, some of you have been fighting sicknesses for a long time, and, and we know the ultimate healing is going to come in heaven. In fact, at a men's Bible study on Thursday, we studied Revelation 21 where it says there will be no more disease, no more sorrow, no more pain. For the former things have passed away. And we asked the question in the Bible study, is that just too good to be true? Is that pie in the sky? Is, is that just, oh, we're just trying to make ourselves feel better? And the very next verse says, right, for these words are faithful and true. On the authority of God's Word, the Bible says one day disease and death will be behind us. Beautiful. And so immediately, Jesus, look at verse 30, she immediately gets a healing and immediately Jesus, perceiving in Himself that power proceeding from Him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched My garments? Now does He not know who touched Him? No, I think this is a way of Him causing the woman to identify herself because there's many layers going on here. I think Jesus knows who touched Him, but I think He wants her to confess her healing. But I also think that He wants this to happen for Jairus' sake. At the end of chapter 4, as Jesus says, let's go to the other side of the lake, um, the apostles, the disciples, they were... Um, very scared and they woke Jesus up and he says why are you so afraid it's like asking have you no faith so in this part of the chapter it's almost like he's showing them an example of what true faith is these people they come to Jesus they know who to go to like you said it's when we come to the end of ourselves we have no control where is it that people go now you as a pastor I'm sure that in 2001 when we saw the airplanes fly into the World Trade Center. What were the attendance like in churches? Well, attendance definitely swelled, Oscar. And uh, people, you know, people have this natural proclivity to run to God in desperate times. It's been said that there's no atheists in foxholes. And God is so gracious that I think He allows situations like that to occur or He'll at least use them to drive us to Him. So those situations can be really good for us if they will drive us to the Master. And you were asking about the role of faith. So the woman with the flow of blood had faith, tremendous faith. In fact, He says to her, your faith has made you well. Mm -hmm. Go in peace or go into peace. Uh, Jairus lost faith at one point. You know, basically, don't trouble the Master anymore and Jesus encourages him to keep believing. So. There's different dynamics to each story, Oscar, but I, here's where I would like to make it, this personal. For all of us who are together on the radio airwaves, we're sitting in a studio speaking to our listening family, speaking to our friends who are listening, and we would just say this, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ? Because here's the deal. Faith is only as good as the object in which it is placed. Mm -hmm. So if you place your faith in yourself, in government, in your friends. You know, all of those things are going to let us down at some point. You must place your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ because He's the one who can save you. He's the one who can deliver you. He's the one who died and rose from the dead. He is God in human flesh. Thank you for listening to today's program. If you'd like to listen to this message in its entirety, or if you'd like to visit our church here in Corona, California, visit our website, walkintruth.com.